Let's pray first. Lord, this is your word. It is absolutely vital that we get it right. But it is spoken by men and people who can't help but get it wrong because of our fallible minds and our errant hearts. Uh, but you've solved that problem with your Holy Spirit who speaks truth to our hearts and minds, who speaks through your word and through men your infallible truths and your inerrant truths through fallible and errant people. And you give fallible and errant people truth to absorb so they can become more like Christ. And that is what we ask of you this morning, to make us like Jesus through the sanctifying washing of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about prayer today. Title, along with our A Healthy Church series, is A Healthy Church Praise, which means that a, a healthy church is filled with healthy Christians. Because if you don't have healthy Christians, it's not a healthy church. I think a lot of times when we think of a healthy church, we think... Oh, the structure's in order. They got great programs and cool kids' ministries and video games and fun things and great music and worship band and fog machines and cool lights. And, you know, this church is... And, and there's tons of people and they have, like, a lot of money. And, and so that church must be healthy. That's not what makes a healthy church. A healthy church is filled with healthy Christians. Because without Christians, it's not a church. Right? Church is just a building. The church, I mean, the, this building is just a building. The church is not a building. I think you guys already know that. The church is not a building. It is the people of God. So a healthy church is a bunch of healthy Christians. And obviously we'd all be at various stages in that health, and we're all at different places. And yeah, none of you are perfect yet. Neither am I. Maybe you're not where you want to be. Maybe... You feel like, no, I'm in a great spot right now. Either way, we all have growth to do and health to gain. And one of the best, most effective ways to get there is a gift that God has given us, and it is prayer. <clears throat> Healthy Christians pray. And a healthy church is filled with healthy Christians who are praying. So <clears throat> my agenda today is not to convince you that you ought to pray. I assume that you already know that you should be praying. I don't know if you are. I don't know if you aren't. I don't know how often you pray. I don't know if you're, I don't even know what your prayers are like. Do you only pray at mealtime? Do you pray, you know, only when things are rough? And you're like, oh Lord, please help me. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know all of your, so I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to descend into your mind and, and work with you to convict you of any ways in which you are not praying either enough or properly or the right way or maybe with the right attitude in prayer. And listen, the thing is, when we talk about, when I preach about things that the Bible tells us to do, 
it's always just borderline legalism, right? Like, hey, pray, 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 pray. And then you're like, oh, Pastor Mark told me to pray. The Bible says I can pray. I pray, pray, pray. And I'm a good Christian. That's not what makes you good. And, and listen, prayer is not only a means for your growth. It is a fruit of your growth. Prayer is a gift and a blessing and an opportunity. You get to pray because Jesus has saved you and given you access to God. So this is not like, hey, Christians, pray, 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 pray. And then you guys are like, oh, yeah, I got to do my job, pray. Oh, this morning I got to pray. And then it's legalism. That's just works. Just trying to be good because you just, I got to throw, I, I haven't prayed in a while. I better make sure I do that. That's not the agenda. I mean, like, think about it like this. Your wife says, honey, we need to talk. And you go, what? Yeah, can we hurry up and get this over with? You think that's going to go well? No, of course not. Right? So, like, when you go to pray to God and it's all just like, oh, I got to do my job. I'm supposed to pray. Oh, God. You know, he's like, dude, come on. I'm not here for you to, like, check prayer off your list. I want to meet with you. I want to relate to you. I want to, you're my child. I want to hear you. You ever have, like, you know, when, you get, like, when your kid's, like, two years old and everything they say is adorable because it comes out like a two-year-old? And half of it makes sense, the other half doesn't, and it's just so cute, and they can never do anything wrong. And they're just, and they, and they come to you like, Mom, Dad, I want this or that. And you know, and it's just, you're just, all you want to do is say, what, honey? Like, you just have this desire to, like, hear them and to, like, look at them, and you're like, oh, and you tell your spouse, oh, aren't they so cute? And you take a picture of them, and you send it, you know what I mean? Like, that's how we are. Why? Because we love our kids. We just love our kids. Go on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Everyone's posting pictures of their kids. Okay? Everyone's posting pictures of their kids. Why? Because they want to share with the world how much they, how cute their kid is, how adorable they are, this cool, funny, smart thing they did because they love their kids and they want to show them off. That's God and you. That's how he treats you. You ever been in a conversation with like maybe a group of people and... And you're like sharing a story, and then the other people get distracted, and they, you, they, they're distracted by something else, and they just kind of, you can tell they just stop listening to you, and you're still telling the story, and now you're telling it to no one, and there's that really awkward moment when you're just like, I'm still talking about this, and no one's listening. God is sitting there like this. Go on. I want to hear it. Like, tell me more. I know they're not listening, but I am. And I know how the story goes. I mean, I created the situation. But I mean, go ahead and tell me. I just love to hear you talk. I love to be relate with you. You know, like, we just, we don't, we don't think of God. I think sometimes we can either think of God as too soft. Like, he's just like, I'll let you get away with anything. It's like, no, he's a God of justice. And sometimes we're too, we think of God as too hard. Like, you know, you better come to me with reverence and on your knees and in fear. And yeah, both of those things are true. He's soft and he's righteous and, and, and we need to revere him and come to him in fear of his greatness and a reverence for his holiness, but also he's a tender father just wants to hear you, just wants to relate to you, just like your kids just want to talk to you, or your spouse just wants to talk to you, they want a relationship, that's all God wants, that's what prayer is. So think about it like this, think to yourself, how often do I pray? Go ahead, answer that in your head, in your head, not out loud. I pray this often. That frequency of prayer for you says a lot about your relationship with God. 
I've said this probably a gazillion times from this pulpit. If I didn't talk to my wife for a month, do you think we'd be healthy? No. So what makes us think that our relationship with God is strong if we're not even talking to him? The only saving grace in that is that God is endlessly pursuant of you even when you're not pursuing him. He's the one who keeps the relationship. So we know we ought to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Jesus says, pray like this, and then he gives us a prayer to copy, to imitate. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Luke 18, 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And 1 Timothy 2, 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. There's plenty of biblical evidence for the reality that we ought to be praying. What I want to do for the rest of the sermon is is assume that you know you should be praying and that you should probably pray more than you already do. Maybe for some of you that's not the case, but I would be willing to bet that's most of us. I think that of myself, that I probably... I need, I need more prayer. It's not like I should because it's my responsibility as a Christian. I need God more. And we get too busy to pray. And I, I've said this before too. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today. I'm going to have to increase my prayer time to three hours. So like Martin Luther saw, oh, the busier I am, the more I need God, and the more everything gets pushed away so I can spend time with him. Then I'll take care of business because that's my priority. So if you've been absent in prayer at all, then you may have this mentality. This is how how I feel. So I'm assuming some of you feel this way too, and maybe there's a different feeling that you have. Maybe it's not this feeling, but this is how I experience it. If I'm absent in prayer for a while, my mentality is that now I can't go to God. It's been too long. I have too much shame. I, have, I, I feel terrible. I haven't talked to you for a long time. God. I'm not like coming to you when I need you, and I feel shame. We had some tough things go on at our house this week, some like important things in our house just stopped working all on the same day. And then these guys come over and tell us, oh, we're going to fix this and that. It's going to cost you this amount of money. I'm like, that's insane. And Holly goes, have you prayed about it? I was like, no, but I'm preaching on prayer. <laughs> She's like, uh, do you think they're related? I'm like, probably. <laughs> I was like, okay, God, uh, I have not come to you about this. And so last night I had to humble myself. I'm sorry. My wife humbled me, and I, and, and I had to pray about it. So, um. We can be resistant to meeting with God in prayer if we haven't for a while because we feel the shame. And I, I think that's so anti-gospel because Jesus tells, or well, Paul tells us, he squashes this idea of shame. In Ephesians 3, 11 through 12, it says this. Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Do you see that? Regardless of your spiritual condition at the time, if you are a genuine believer in Jesus, if you're actually saved, truly saved, then you 
always and forever have full and unrestricted access to God. But it is not just that you have unrestricted access, but that you also have boldness to approach God despite being absent in prayer for, say, years. And that access you have, you have boldness to go into God's throne room as if you have no shame because you don't. You don't have shame. Jesus bore your shame on the cross. Right? Isaiah 53, he took our shame. So we don't have shame. We don't have to go to God like, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't been good. He's like, no, that's, don't think that way. I covered you with the perfection and righteousness of Jesus. You don't get to have shame in my presence. Come to me with boldness. When you come to me with boldness, despite all your sins, despite all your absence in prayer, what it tells me is how great Jesus is. It exalts Christ that you come to me knowing you're full of sin, you've been absent in prayer, but in the, in the righteousness of Christ, I boldly come to you, God. And he says that access is with confidence, not shame, confidence. And what it does is it makes Jesus look great and it glorifies God. So no more shame. No more reasons why we can't pray. No more excuses. So talk to God daily. Retreat to him regularly. Talk, and you know what? Talk to him like he's God. Reverent, on your knees, on your face, bowing before him in tears, terrified of his presence, just like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, who sees the glory of God and the angels are worshiping him. The angels can't even look at his glory. Isaiah's got his head down. He's terrified. And his only thing he can say is, what am I doing here? He says, woe is me, for I am just a man, a sinful man. And what does the angel do in Isaiah 6? He takes an ash, he takes a coal from the altar. The altar signifies sacrifice. It's a picture of the gospel. And he takes a coal from the altar and he touches Isaiah's lips and goes, don't be ashamed anymore. Don't be afraid anymore. I've washed you with the altar. It's an image of what Christ would do one day. That Christ makes, he literally comes to us as we fall in fear before God. He picks us up and goes, your reverence is right. Your attitude is right. But you are also now a child of God. And you have that full unrestricted access to come before God. So we got to have that reverence and fear. But at the same time, God has a personhood. Feelings, thoughts, emotions. He's funny. God's probably the best comedian ever. Right? Like, he's a, he's a person. He's a spirit. He's not a human, but he's got a personhood. Every attribute you could possibly have, or every good and holy attribute and characteristic you could possibly have, he has. And more. So I went on a retreat a few years ago to Oak Forest Center, Oak Forest Retreat Center in Frederick. And they had this... Um, they're like, you get to sweet, because I was, it was like, they give like free pastor's retreats, so uh, they're like, it's free, and I was like, oh, sweet, even better. They're like, and you get to sweet, I'm like, oh, sweet, the sweet. So, so like, I go in this room, and what I find out is they had actually taken two rooms, tore down the wall, and it's just like two big, it was just one big room. I walk in there, there is a room the size of half of the sanctuary, and I've got it to myself for two days, and then a separate bedroom, right, and so like, I'm like, I don't need all this space. Turns out I did. Because on that retreat, all I brought was my Bible and a notebook and a pen. 
And there's no service there, so there was no Netflix that day, those two days. And I just wrote and read and prayed. And when I pray, because I mean seriously, how long can you sit there in like this prayerful position? How many hours could you do that for? Like I started like that and I was like, this is silly. God doesn't need me to like be, there's no rule in the Bible about this position. So I just like got up and I was just walking in circles. I'm like, so God, like, I don't even know. And I'm just talking to like some dude sitting at the counter drinking coffee. I started making some food, poured myself some coffee, rifling through my Bible. I'm talking to God about the word. I'm like, like he was just another friend at the table with me. I spent hours with God like he was there. Because he was. And I talked to him like he was a person. It was the most fruitful prayer time I've ever experienced in my entire life. Now granted, I was on retreat to do just that. You guys probably don't have like hours to walk around house talking to God. But do you have five minutes? Or, or whatever, how much ever time you spend now? How much more time does God want with you? So, let's assume now that because of everything that I just said, you're all going to start praying every single day and every morning for a certain amount of time. All right? Deal? Amen? Amen. Good. All right. Now that we know, now that we're all doing that, how do I pray? Now, there's lots of different ways to pray. And, and I've done this before where we kind of give you, like, even a list, like, you know, first pray for this and then pray for that and then pray for, and like, the, kind of the formality of prayer. I, I don't want to do that because there's something even better than a list in your prayer life. It's not a thing, but it's vital to your prayer life. It's a person, the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to pray. So God gives us this command in Ephesians 6.18. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit. So, the context of Ephesians 6 and this praying at all times in the Spirit is spiritual warfare. That's the context. So Paul is really saying, in spiritual warfare, be praying at all times in the Spirit. So, I don't need to argue to you that prayer is vital to your spiritual warfare. I think we all agree with that. I assume you believe that. But Paul doesn't just say, during spiritual warfare, pray in the Spirit. Rather, he says, at all times. Okay. Meaning one of two things. Either you should pray in the Spirit but only during spiritual warfare, and during spiritual warfare, always be praying in the Spirit. So that's what he's saying. You only need to pray in the Spirit during spiritual warfare. That's one option. The other option is this. It means that you are always in spiritual warfare. Now that sounds a little more realistic, doesn't it? It's definitely more biblical. And that is Paul's point. The enemy never sleeps. He is always going after you. He's always trying to destroy you. God is always for you, and Jesus is always victorious, and the Spirit is always battling in you and for you, and we are always more than conquerors in Christ. 
It is an endless reality, even when we go about our regular day, without ever thinking about spiritual warfare, the enemy is still at work, still manipulating, still lying to you, still deceiving you, still trying to destroy you. Get them on their phone when they get home from work and have them just sit there and ignore their children and let them think they deserve, that they deserve this little break uh, from life to relax because life is hard and your job is hard and family's now hard, so I need time to relax. So just sit there on your phone and soak up all the garbage on social media that also is the enemy, the enemy is using to manipulate you into thinking more and more about irreverent and unimportant things that distract you from real life and from your spiritual health and from your relationship with God. Give them politics and horrifying news and, and conspiracy theories and funny memes and cool videos and cats meowing and whatever. That will keep them off track while they believe they are just taking a well-deserved break from a hard day. That is one of an endless number of tactics by the enemy. One, he is always at work. And he's not just like, knocks your door, hey, you're home from work, I'm Satan, I'm here to distract you. Like, that's not how he works, right? He's not, he doesn't let you know he's there. He's trying to manipulate you. He's going to sneak in in ways you just don't see. I was manipulated this week by him. I didn't see it coming. So my wife called me out on it. So we are always in spiritual warfare. You know what that means? You better be praying. Now, so before I was telling you guys, this is about your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with God. You know, like, I don't want it to be like a checklist thing. And now I'm telling you, but the enemy is trying to murder you. He wants to rip off your head. And tear out your heart and destroy your life. He wants to create adultery. He wants to create fornication. He wants to create sin. He wants to create alcoholism. He wants to create addictions. He wants to ruin you. He has no regard for you or your health at all. He wants you to get cancer and die. And he wants you to be like Job's wife and say, curse God and die with all these sufferings in your life. That's what Satan wants you. He has no regard for you at all. But your death and your suffering and that you would be as wicked as him. That's all he cares about. And he is so much smarter than us. He is. He's just smarter than us. He's a spiritual being. He was created as an angel. He's, he, he, God can bring him into his presence. He can see God. He knows the power of God more than we do. And he's, a, and he's got more power on earth. He's got more knowledge of the Bible. He doesn't believe it, nor does he have the spirit to understand it, but he has more knowledge in which to manipulate it and manipulate you. And this is why it is such a great truth when John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Because though the enemy is that wicked and that deceitful and that manipulative and hates you that much and wants to kill you, we have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus Christ living in us and working out of us and through us to take on that enemy. And you know what the Spirit does for you? Praise. 
That's how we battle the enemy in this constant daily spiritual attacks. We pray. That's the battle chant. We pray. That's the battle chant of God's Christian soldiers to go along with the war theme, with the battle theme. Our chant is, we pray. And we pray in the Spirit. So, what does it mean we pray in the Spirit? Like, what does it look like when you pray in the Spirit? Does it feel different? If you're praying in the Spirit, do you feel like you're floating? Is there this emotional uprising of joy and satisfaction? Is it like, do I start glowing like Jesus' transfiguration? I mean, what happens when I'm praying in the Spirit? Is it supposed to feel different? On a practical experience, what does it feel like? So Paul gives us some insight of what the Spirit does and how he does it. And that insight is in Romans 8.26. Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, first thing we have to do is clear up some misconceptions here. A lot of people claim that these, this phrase, that the Spirit does in us groanings too deep for words. Some people call that the gift of tongues. Uh, it is not the gift of tongues. Um, what they're claiming then is that Christians should speak in tongues because that is the only evidence from this verse that this is the, the only evidence that you have the Holy Spirit is that you're speaking in tongues. So you're not in the Spirit if you're not speaking in tongues when you pray. That's, their, that's kind of the, uh, the Pentecostal slash charismatic approach to this verse. It is not biblical. What Paul is saying is that the Spirit's groanings are too deep for words. Well, tongues is the use of words. So this can't be tongues. Because these are too deep for words. So these aren't words that you're saying. They're too deep for words. And the gift of tongues is the use of words. It might be words you don't know, because it's a tongue, but it's still words, so this isn't tongues. These groanings... Or something else. What it means is that the Spirit intercedes for us by going to the Father on our behalf when we pray and, make, and makes a claim to the Father for us about things that we are unaware of. So Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.18, pray always in the Spirit. And then he tells us here, when you pray, the Spirit intercedes because you're too weak. You don't know what to pray for. Like you should know what to pray for, but you don't know what to pray for. But the Spirit knows what you need to pray for. So the Spirit will intercede and he'll do two things. One, he will pray through you. He will inform your mind and fill your head with truth. And, and give you the thoughts and the ideas to pray. And he will pray through you. So the words that come out of your mouth when you pray is the Spirit... Speaking through you, praying through you, helping you in your weakness to inform you what you ought to be praying for. So how do we get that? Simple. We ask. That's it. You ask, right? Luke eleven nine. 9. Ask and it will be given to you. Just ask. 
Ask for the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit will fill you. And when you retreat and you spend time alone with God, you, your, your relationship, your communion, your connection with God, is it, it, it increases your love for God. And the love of God is the Spirit of God, and He will fill you. And as He fills you, He will inform your prayers, and you'll start praying the right things. But it's even better than that. It's even better than, not, than, than, than Him telling you what to pray. And when I say He tells you what to pray, this is not an audible thing. Like, you can, if you hear someone talking in your head... Come talk to me. <laughs> All right? Um, because God doesn't speak to us audibly anymore. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. He speaks to us through the Son and His Word, John 1, 1 and 14. So, so the Spirit informs your mind as you're filled with the Spirit on what to pray for. But there's something else. These groanings that are too deep for words. The Spirit is interceding for you and praying for you. He is advocating in your place to the Father for things you don't understand. For things you're unaware of. For your weaknesses. For the stuff you don't know. I know it sounds weird, but it's true. And it's the Spirit jumps in for us and He prays for us but through us, but somewhat without us, but it comes through our position of prayer. So what I'm telling you is that we need to get into a, I would say, mental slash spiritual slash emotional position of prayer. And you don't even have to do that, to be honest. And you just need to say, like when you start your prayer, just say, all right, Holy Spirit, I need your help. Like, whenever I pray publicly, there's this, I always have this pause before I actually start praying out loud. That, that is me going, I need your help. Holy Spirit, speak through me. You tell me what to pray. Pray through me. Take over. And I think we might reject this idea of the Spirit praying for us because we think, you know, think about it like this. What good is it to me if the Spirit is praying for me? And through me and on my behalf, if I don't know what he is praying, what does that benefit me? What does it benefit me if I'm unaware? And if the Spirit is going to pray without my knowledge of what he's praying about on my behalf, then why doesn't he just do it without me? Why do I have to be participating? Why do I have to ask him to help? Why does he just do it and it just happens? And there's a very important answer to that question. Because God wants your trust. He wants you to come to him. He wants that relationship. He wants you to show him, I am too weak. I can't do this without you. I, not only can I not live this life without your help, God, I can't even pray to you right. I can't even come to you the right way. I do not have confidence and boldness before you, and I need it. So spirit, intercede on my behalf, pray for me, through me, use me, whatever, take over, and the spirit works on your behalf, and God sees your dependence, and it pleases him, and it's good for you because it's humble. And with humility, God blesses and builds. In your humility, God will bless and build. You will be satisfied and grow. So we have to be dependent on him in prayer. We have to come to him in our weakness and say, I have nothing. 
I need your help, Spirit. And the Spirit intercedes. And when the Spirit intercedes, you think the Spirit knows what God's will is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Think he knows better than us? Yeah! Of course he does. He's God. <laughs> He's not just like this third dude who's like the third wheel of the Trinity. He is God himself in full person. Nothing less than the Father. Not an ounce of the Spirit is less than God the Father. He's a different or a distinct personhood, but he is fully God. He knows God's will. He communicates God's will. He causes God's will. Ezekiel 36, 27, he causes your obedience if it's God's will. So if the Spirit knows God's will, and the Spirit's praying through us, the Spirit can start praying God's will through us. And you know what happens when we pray God's will? We get answers we like. You ever prayed for something? Um... And it didn't work? <laughs> yeah, all of us, right? Even, even something that you think, like, this has to be God's will. Right? Like, someone you love has, like, cancer, and you pray over them. Like, God, heal them. You pray faithfully and regularly, and you believe it, and your faith is high and great, and you're like, I know you can do it, God, and I believe that you will, and he doesn't. And they die. Spirit knows God's will. Look at what John says in 1 John 5, 14 through 15. This is, this is one of the biggest statements in the Bible, and it's about prayer. It says, and this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything, just absorb that for a second, anything, anything at all, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. That verse is saying, ask God and you get it. If, there's a condition, if your request, the thing you're asking for, is God's will. So then we go, well, yeah, that sounds great, but how am I supposed to know what God's will is? I don't know if it's God's will that my friend dies or survives of cancer. I don't know that answer, God, so I don't know what to pray. And Paul's answer is in Romans 8, 26. The Spirit will intercede on your behalf. He will fill you and he will... He will advocate for you. He will inform your mind and your heart and your emotions and your mentality and your perspective to be biblical, to be like the mind of Christ. That's the Spirit's number one priority in all of his existence is to exalt Jesus Christ. And so when he's working in you, he is making you like Christ to make Christ look good. And he is showing you Christ to make Christ look good. Everything he does is about making Jesus look awesome. And so he's going to inform your mind when you ask for his help in prayer. He's going to inform your mind so that you would think like Christ. And Christ thinks like the Bible. That's why John says in John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Because Jesus is so perfect, and so is the Word. John's going, 
Jesus lives God's word so well. He is the word. And the word is him. There's no distinction between them. Because the word communicates a truth about God and so does Jesus. And they both do it perfectly. And so as we ask the spirit to fill us, And as he informs our mind, he turns our mind into the mind of Christ, meaning we start to pray biblically. And as we start praying biblically, we start praying for God's will, and we might not even know it's happening. So all of a sudden, our prayers for our friend with cancer who's dying, our prayers, we still keep praying for healing. And we're going, God, I know you can heal. I believe you can heal. I want you to heal my friend. But, God, I also know. That your word says in 1 Peter 3.17 that we can suffer for doing good and that that suffering is your will. And your word tells us in Hebrews 9.27 that every man is appointed a day to die. So you might not heal my friend. They might die of cancer. And if that's the case, prepare me, Lord. Prepare my heart and mind for that reality. And in the meantime, give me courage to endure and be compassionate to my friend. And give my friend the courage and strength to endure and show them your glory through their suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. And if they have to die to make you look good, then so be it, Lord. That is a spirit-filled prayer. We need to be praying in the Spirit at all times. Your prayer life is going to flourish. And our church, when I say our church, I mean these people are going to grow. I guarantee, I know some of you are prayer. I call these people prayer warriors. The people that if I went to them and said, pray for me about this, they're going to go, you got it. And I know they're praying every single day for me. Every day. There are people in this room who are like that. I know it. I can trust it. And I believe it. But not all of us are that way. I think, do you think about it like this? If, If that person, that prayer warrior, started praying for you every single day personally and and fervently and tenaciously, like just praying for you like it's their job, do you think your life would change? Yeah, I do. You better believe it would. And it might, that change might not, it could be a harder change, but it would be glorious and it'd be for your good and it would be for your joy, even if it were harder. Now imagine if everyone in this room prayed like that for everyone in this room all the time. Think that'd be a healthy church? I am telling you people, you have in your hand like the Holy Spirit, and we're just like, oh, this is so good, and we're just like, yeah, I know, I get it, but like, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm saved, I got things to do, I don't need that. We don't say that, we'd never say that out loud, and we wouldn't even admit it to ourselves, but that's how we treat the Holy Spirit. We never pray. And when we do, it's flimsy at best. It's washed up prayers. And if you're feeling convicted, or like, dude, jeez, Beat on me. The horse is dead. You don't have to keep beating me, all right? If that's your attitude, 
I, I, I want to keep beating on you. I, I, we, this is something we have to pursue. I don't want you to feel shame about what you have or haven't done in the past. I want you to look at the verses we read and say, God has told me no more shame. It is time to start praying. And listen, I'm not after a healthy church. That's not my priority. My priority as your pastor is a healthy you. Individual you. And what I'm telling you is if that happens to all of you, collectively as a congregation, huh, I, I, don't even wanna, I don't even want to start throwing out ideas of what God could do because whatever crazy, awesome, unbelievable thing I think of will be nothing compared to God who says there is nothing that you can think of that you can possibly imagine that I can't do. I will do more than abundantly, this is Ephesians 3, abundantly more than you could possibly think or imagine. So I'm not going to throw out things that God will start doing when this church starts praying in the Spirit. Because I'd rather He just do it and, and we just go, What? What a God! Unbelievable! And it starts when your alarm goes off in the morning. That's where this church changes. That's where your life changes. When your alarm goes off in the morning, you sit up and you go, how could I start my day without you? I might be tired, God, and I don't know what to pray for, but I need you. Just be with me. Amen. That, that's your prayer. If you don't do that regularly, just start with that. Let him grow you. Let's pray.